Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply i'm sam and i co-host the scott home podcast the known universe's first Houston Cougar Sports Podcast. Every week, even during the offseason, my co-host Dustin and I come on and talk everything current as it relates to the Cougs, and every so often, we'll bring on UH luminaries like Carl Lewis, Kellen Sampson, and a number of other fantastic Cougar voices, and as proud members of the 1012 Network, we also find the time to talk about our future conference and future opponents in the Big 12 as well. If all of that sounds even a little bit interesting to you, we would love it. If you subscribe to the Scott Holm Podcast on Apple, Spotify, and everywhere else you put podcasts in your ears. That's podcast spelled P-A-W-D cast because the two of us hosting the show are nothing, if not big dorks. So thank you and go Cougs. Welcome back to the Rock Chalk Podcast. I am your host, Andy Mitz. Today, we are not talking about football. Uh, we did not get a recap episode yet of Baylor, but uh, that will probably come next week as we are gearing up and kind of doing a reset on the season so far. But instead, we are doing the thing that we normally do around this, actually, usually about two or three weeks ago in the season. Um, we are doing our preseason preview of the college basketball season for the Jayhawks. Um, it's been a little weird. You know, I fully expected to uh, have this done a lot sooner than now because I would be looking for topics of things that I would actually enjoy talking about instead of, you know, a Kansas team potentially losing a lot on the football field by very not fun margins. That, you know, that was just the, the pessimistic um, Kansas football fan in me that is used to the disappointment of being a Royals fan and a, a you know, a Chiefs fan and a Kansas football fan. Like, I've been beaten down a lot. But instead, we are here to talk about the reigning national championship college basketball team, the Kansas Jayhawks. And to help me do that, um, not doing our normal lineup where we, you know, have a local beat writer like Jesse Newell and then co-host and Steve Fetch jumping on. Unfortunately, both of those guys are no longer covering the Jayhawks. So instead, I have joining me tonight, as he has multiple times to cover this team, Brendan Dorzinski, uh, co-host of 580 Sports Talk over on WIBW over in Topeka. Brendan, how you doing tonight? 
I'm doing well, Andy. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, this is um, this is gonna be a little bit different from what we normally do because normally we, you know, we have three people on here, but unfortunately, we, we had someone else coming on. He unfortunately was not able to make it; had a last minute um, issue that prevented that. But I will plan on having him on. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spoil who it is because every single time I try to tease a guest, they they somehow. You know, something comes up and they're not able to make it. So I'm going to keep this one in the back pocket and I'll let you guys know when it's actually time to have it happen. So, but looking at this, like, obviously it's, it's been a while since we talked Kansas basketball, right? Because sure, there was a couple things that were kind of happening during the summer, but there was a lot of, you know, hectic stuff going on with all the football stuff and kind of like gearing up for everything and, you know, covering fall camp and all of that. And normally, you know, for Kansas basketball fans, Beginning of September is when we really kind of start ramping up, right? We start doing all of our previews, start taking a look at all the players, like reminding ourselves what happened in the offseason, all that stuff. Um, but we have a really good football team this year, too. So there has not been nearly as much time to devote for one person trying to cover the whole Kansas Athletic Department to devote to the basketball team, which is a crying shame because this is a really good team that has a lot of really great guys to talk about. So thinking about what happened over the summer, though, Obviously, we all celebrated a national championship for a while. Um, but then at that point, you know, Ochai went to the draft. Um, you know, David McCormick went to the draft. You had Christian Brown go in the draft as well. Um, look, all of those guys that were here last year and are no longer here, that's a huge portion of what this team had and, and the guys that were very, very successful. So, you know, there was a decent amount of movement. There was, you know, there were guys coming in. There was a pretty stacked freshman class that's coming in. But there was a big transfer in Kevin McCuller Jr. coming from Texas Tech. Um, we haven't really had a chance to talk about this, but once you heard that McCuller was coming over from Texas Tech, what what kind of thoughts did you have about that, and how 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 big of a deal was it to get a guy like that? Well, I think to answer the second part first, I think it's a massive deal for this team that is going to obviously have a veteran presence still on it. You know, Jalen Wilson has All American, certainly All Big Twelve kind of potential, unanimous pick for preseason All Big Twelve. So you already have him, Dwan Harris, who is just the latest player in a line of guys who don't do a ton of things that flash on the stat sheet, but are gritty as all hell. And Bill Self just loves them. I mean, he's in the you know he's not as good of a defender as Marcus Garrett, but he is in that same kind of vein. In fact, we talked about that during the NCAA tournament, Andy, right here on the Rock Chalk podcast. We We talked about how he's very much in that similar vein. So you're going to have that veteran presence, and you've got a couple of other guys who have at least been around for a while. You know, Joe Yesu has been in college for several years right now. You've got a handful of guys who are also back who are on the championship team from last season. So you've got a handful of veterans who are still around, or even some young guys who did play meaningful minutes last year. But to add in a guy like Kevin McCuller, who has always been a decent to good offensive player, but is a stud defensively. It is honestly somewhat remarkable. He did not make first team all defense in the big 12 last season. He is a stellar on and off ball defender. And I mean, that sounds like a perfect bill self kind of player, right? And I know we heard this is far after the transfer, but we heard at big 12 basketball media day, the big 12 tip off in Kansas city just last week that bill self thought he was a perfect fit for this team and for what he wants to do. And when he entered the portal, he became priority number one. I can understand exactly why. And I thought that from the very beginning that 
dang, guy who's long, can defend at least one through four. You could probably say one through five, at least in certain cases. He's got an offensive game that can get to another level. That felt like a truly perfect fit basketball-wise and culture-wise, too. It is really hard to replace, what is it, six guys who left from last year's team. Ochai Abadji, obviously a leader for that team. Christian Brown, emotional on-court kind of leader as well. David McCormick, you even throw in, you know, Mitch Lightfoot. Jalen coleman lands was only there for a year, but he brought a veteran presence when he was there since he was a 14th-year senior or whatever it is. T. Han had even been around for a long time. I know he's hardly a core piece when you look back on that championship team, but a guy who had been around that is veteran adult leadership in the room. So bringing in a guy who can not replace all of them, obviously not. And he is still going to be the new guy. In fact, I talked to him at Big 12 Media Day about, hey, what's it like to both be expected to be a leader, but to also be one of the new guys who has to enter this role? And he said, you know, he's ready for it. And he was coming into this situation, expecting to have to fill that leadership role right away. And he's comfortable with it. So I think it was a move that this team needed because, and we'll get to season expectations in a little bit. I think KU is going to have to win on the margins a little bit more this season than they often have to do for you know talent reasons. I'm excited for this team. I think there are some legitimate concerns for this team, especially early on in the year. And having a guy like McCuller, who's been through the ringer before, he's been in tough non-conference games. He's been through the gauntlet that is the Big 12 schedule before. He's played in tough environments. He's played against great athletes and has defended them well. To bring a guy like that into the fold, I don't know if you can even quantify how important that addition is going to be for this KU team. Because honestly, you take him off the board, just defensively, not even offensively, just defensively, how many questions would there be about this group? There'd be Dewan Harris on the ball, and then the hope that Jalen Wilson takes another step defensively, and that would about be it, because there's a lot of questions down low. So having a guy like McCuller in there, who, if nothing else, is going to kind of hold it all together defensively, massive addition for this team. Right. The other thing you have to think about, too, is that McCuller at Texas Tech showed the ability to guard the four, and even sometimes yeah. the five, as needed. So that adds kind of an all-around defensive guy that can do a lot of different things. You know, I, I do think, while while it's still weird to think about players transferring inside of conferences, um, you definitely have a lot better of a chance to scout them to figure out what they can do and how they can help your team because you see them multiple times in a year. Typically, you know, you're, you're scouting, you know, them because you're getting ready to play them at some point. Like there's a lot of more opportunities to understand what they do and what their strengths and weaknesses are than trying to get a bunch of film from a guy from halfway across the country. So um, I, I definitely think that that has allowed for some, some more strategic, you know, planning in terms of how you go pull guys, who you actually target and all of that. And it's one of those things like, you know, it, it actually feeds directly into one of Brett Yormark's uh, comments, right, at, at the Big 12 Media Days where he talked about he wanted he wanted student athletes to sign up for the Big 12 Conference and then find themselves a home inside of that conference. Um, because, you know, it, it sounds ridiculous to us, but, you know, there's a lot of people apparently that, that know of Kansas, know of the Kansas Jayhawks, but don't necessarily immediately associate them with the Big 12. And, and then that may not be the best example because I think there's so many people that know the Jayhawks well enough that they know they play in the Big 12. But, you know, there are plenty of schools in the conference that if you're not from that school, you don't routinely play that school. You don't necessarily know what conference they're in, especially with so many different teams moving around nowadays. And so to take guys like that and have them transfer inside the conference shows you know, that there is some sort of special pull for being in a particular conference. And that's what they're trying to do to to make it a more cohesive unit in terms of the number of teams that are all around. 
getting back to McCullough specifically, you were talking about how he, he, you know, he was expecting to come in and jump into a leadership role. And I, I actually asked him about that. Like what, how different is it going to be, you know, being one of the leaders at Texas tech to coming to being one of the new guys, but also one of the leaders here at Kansas. And he, you know, he's, he, he talked not only about the fact that he had the experience, you know, bringing up guys over in Texas tech so he can bring that, bring a different perspective, bring some fresh insight into what's happening. But, you know, he also has like that one additional thing that he can bond with the newer guys with, you know, he is brand new to the, to the system too. He's learning the way that they want to do things just as much as the, all of the freshmen. And so while he does have some more experience of college basketball overall, he is still in that same sort of experience, but now also helping to lead people through it at the same time. So I am excited about what he can bring. The way that he talked at Big 12 BD Days has me really excited for the impact he's going to have on this on this program and what they're going to do. And like you said, he solves a lot of problems defensively. You had a ton of really good defensive players that left. McCormick, you know, we 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 ragged on him at times for for the offense that he had, but he was a fantastic defensive player as long as he was, you know, not trying to over-rotate to, to help too many times. But you had Christian Brown that was out on the perimeter who was a lockdown defender most of the time. Ochai Baji was a really, really good defender. Jalen Wilson has not had to be the first or second guy out on the perimeter. I think he can do it, but he hasn't actually done it yet, which means that there are questions about, you know, how successful he's going to be. Bringing in McCuller means that you can slot him in as the, you know, 1B to DeWan Harris's 1A in terms of defensive prowess out on the perimeter, and Wilson can do stuff. He can he can move around, he can follow guys, he can do a lot of different things that allowed him to be successful last year. Um, and he can continue to do those. And I actually think that there's a good chance that Wilson might end up being the leading rebounder for this team because he had, you know, a nose for the ball last year in the role that he had. He's going to be on the floor more. He's going to be a guy that's going to be looking to attack more. He's going to be looking to do a, a bunch of stuff. And I think that's just as much of not really knowing what we have on the inside as, you know, as it is about what Jalen Wilson is doing out on the perimeter. So let, let's use that to transition too, because I think that was the one spot where we, you know, we were potentially concerned, right, in terms of mm-hmm. down low. There weren't any transfers that came in to, you know, jump into the down low. Now they have Cam Martin, who redshirted last year, who is expected to play. I don't know how much he's expected to play, how good of a player he, you know, expects to be down there. But you have guys in K.J. Adams um, and Zach Clements coming back. But I would have to say that that is a really big question mark. What have you heard or what have you, you know, like what is the impression you're getting from the stable of guys that they have down low um, are, are you feeling that they did enough to, to address the post in the offseason? Enough is an interesting way to look at it. I think that there is a lot of future potential with that group down low. I've got some real worries, though, about what they're going to look like this season. I like the parts. Individually, as parts, I like the group. K.J. Adams, I think, has potential to be an all-Big 12 defensive kind of player. I have been told just, you know, through the grapevine kind of stuff, they actually want to get him out on the perimeter a little bit more, not necessarily because they think he can be a great shooter, but because he is a super athlete, he can defend on the perimeter because he is quick laterally front and back. He can get in your face. He's got that uh, tenacity. I actually agree with that. I think he can be a better perimeter defender given that role with some time to, you know, kind of develop into it. Well, and we saw him do that against Miami in in the NCAA tournament. Like he came out and completely shut down a Miami, you know, drive at the beginning of or at the end of the the first half there. So like he has shown the ability to get out there. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that was one of the plays where you felt like, okay, maybe things are going to turn. And then Self went to that again in the national championship game. It didn't work out quite as well, but they went to that same thing. Hey, get free money. Jalen Coleman lands in there to, you know, do something offensively to spark them. Get KJ in there to be sort of that defensive spark plug. And again, it worked really well against Miami, maybe not quite as well against North Carolina, but at least that worked out in the end. So I like KJ Adams as a piece. I think Zach Clements has a chance to be one of the best stretch fours, stretch fives, in the entire country when it's all said and done with his career. I think he's got that kind of potential. The freshman, Zuby Ejiofor, I think could be a really nice player. I think Uday, there's a lot of reason to think he might be a nice player. Um, Cam Martin has a lot of offensive skill, which is good. I was actually just having a conversation with a couple of my co-hosts on, on Wednesday this week about Cam Martin. I want him to be successful at KU. I really do. I, I think he's got the offensive skill set to really make it happen and to be an impact player. We also heard from Bill Self this week, though, he's going to miss a little time, possibly into the start of the season due to injury. So it'll be a little while before we see him. Cam Martin couldn't guard at the Division II level, though. I saw him in person playing at Missouri Southern when he was in Division II, when he was a back-to-back All-American at the Division II level. Because he started his career, remember, at the Division I level at Jacksonville State, transferred down to Division II, was one of the best players in the entire country. Truthfully, one of the best players in the entire country. He would come in, and I, I saw him when he would play against Washburn, doing some coverage of Washburn as well. And, I mean, he would firebomb that team and would just step out and you think how does this guy have those kind of guard scoring skills and then he goes inside and it's like he has old man game around the basket too and you just can't stop him like the old guy at the Y who you know played ball way back in the day and he still schools you that's what he looked like in the post he was unstoppable but he he was not an all-american because of his defense right and that was at the division MIAA great division two league uh it ain't the big 12 it is not the big 12 so I just don't know where he is going to fit into the rotation once he does eventually crack the rotation at KU. I I hope that he finds some success. I hope KU finds a way to get him in some space where he can use some of that offensive skill set. I just am not sure where it's going to fit in. And there's so much youth, Andy, in this group. I just don't know where the rim protection is going to come from. And and early in the year, that's why you play those non-conference games against Omaha and against Harvard, right? So you can kind of get ready for Big 12 play, get ready for conference play with some of those tune-ups. I've got some worries about those guys in the post, and it's more than anything just because they are so young. Ejiofor, freshman. Uday, freshman. Adams is a sophomore. Clements is a sophomore. I mean, you're going to be relying on Jalen Wilson and Kevin McCuller to be your best post guys as, you know, they're naturally three and four players. They're going to have to play the four and the five a lot out there. You're going to rely on them for a lot of minutes. You're going to have to get Jalen Wilson to take not just one, but probably two steps forward as a defender. It sounds like Bill Self thinks he can do that, and that's awesome. That's great. I I just have some worries about the youth, and you even get to Big 12 play, even after you get two months or you know a month and a half. Yeah, it really is two months of working against non-conference opponents of varying levels. You know, Indiana is going to be a tough test with a guy like Trace Jackson Davis, who's a really strong post player, preseason All-American from the AP. In fact, you're going to get chances to work against them. You play Baylor though, a game in Waco, game at Allen Fieldhouse against the big men they have. You know, Flo Thamba on his own is not in on you know otherworldly player but in that system he is very effective Jonathan Chumwachachwa if he can play I I don't know what his injury prognosis is I have not looked deeply into it when if if at all he's going to be back this season I would not like that matchup with everyday John against some of these guys for KU I love the potential 
I, I don't know if you can say it is enough for this year or not enough. It's kind of hard to gauge just how much these guys will be able to contribute when we get to those big 12 games. And again, for the future, love the potential here. I just think this is going to be an uncharacteristic Bill Self year for the post guys in the sense that I don't know what they can give you, especially on the defensive side of the ball. I don't know if there's a true rim protector in the group for this 22-23 season, and I think KU is going to have to play small a lot. So against other teams that play small, I think KU is going to be fine. Against teams that have good presences in the post, you look at Indiana in the non-conference, and obviously you look at Baylor, among others, when you get to conference play, I think there might be some struggles down low. It sounds like, based on the reports from KU's secret scrimmage they had in St. Louis against Illinois this past weekend, sounds like that's already appearing to be the case for this group. Yeah, this is one of those teams that is going to use every single bit of the tune-ups that are non-conference play. Um, and yes, I mean, they have some some pretty big, you know, some pretty big matchups um, early in the conference slate. You know, they have Duke, they have NC State at, at the beginning of the Battle for Atlantis. Um, they have the potential of playing, you know, two other really good ranked teams down there as well. Um, so it'll be very interesting, I think, to see how they develop those guys, how they get them those early tests and kind of figure out what to do. But like you said, there is no guy like there are there are about three or four different postmen who I think could have a career trajectory similar to Landon Lucas, right? Where they come in and years one and two are kind of rough. You're trying to figure out what's going on. You wonder if they're ever actually going to get a legitimate chance to play and be a star. And then their junior year, they just take off and all of a sudden become one of the better postmen in the entire Big 12. So I think that there is potential for this team. But but like you said, there is there is nobody that I look at them immediately and say, that is the guy that's going to be you know, the center for this team. That's the guy that's going to be down low and going to anchor that defense in the middle of the paint. Um, we just don't have a guy that can do that. You know, we, we've been very spoiled as Kansas fans of having big men down low that can do a lot. You know, I think Jeff Withy, you know, you think Joel Embiid, you think even, you know, guys like Landon Lucas and um, David McCormick last year, like for, for every, for all the times that we, ragged on things that David McCormick did. It was definitely out of a place of love because we knew exactly how important he was to this team and we wanted him to be better. I don't know that I look at anybody here and I say, that is the guy that has to step up that we know has to be better. There's a bunch of guys that could potentially be good. You could get a rotation of two or three of those guys that come in and as long as they all do different things or as long as they all can play relatively consistent with each other, then you can work around it. But yeah, there's not a guy that stands out to me as that is the guy that's going to be our post presence that's going to allow our guards to do what they want. I think this is going to be a year where we have a lot more time in a five-guard lineup than we are used to. I mean, and there was even a year where, you know, they did that quite a bit. I think it's going to even go bigger than that because, you know, Jalen Wilson is probably going to have to play the five quite a bit this year Um, just because I don't think that they really have anybody else who is going to lock down that position and Wilson can play the five, and he can defend the five. So, like, it is one of those things. It's not his best position to defend, or it's not, it's not his best position to play, but it gives them more options, gives them things to do, and I, I get the feeling that Self is going to go to that a lot sooner than he has in the past, especially if some of the, you know, reports that are coming out on guys like Grady Dick about how well he's able to shoot, MJ Rice, the, you know, the knack that he has to get to the basket. If those guys are picking up big minutes that it might make more sense to slot Wilson in as a, you know, starter at the five. And then you just kind of bring in big guys whenever you, you know, find a good spot for them to come in. So it's going to be really weird. I think the way that this lineup works and how it's going to, to really kind of play out. In fact, let's go ahead and do that. We're going to jump over now 
I think, to the roster. Take a look. Like, who are the guys that you're expecting, you know, to be the main guys, the starters for the majority of the season? If, if I'm starting now, obviously, you you know, you bring in uh, Dewan Harris, Jalen Wilson, and Kevin McCuller. Like, those three guys came to media days. It's very, very clear that those are guys are starters, you know, barring some sort of bad injury. Like, you know, I, and I'm knocking on wood right now to make sure that I didn't just jinx anything. Um, but, yeah, so, like, three of the spots are pretty much locked down. You can take a look around the rest of the roster, though. Who are those other two guys that you're expecting to step up and be the starters? If I had to guess right off the rip, I think it's going to be KJ Adams at the five, and I think it's going to be Grady Dick at, you know, whatever position on the wing you want to put him at, two, three, four, whatever it ends up being. The two or the three, probably, probably the two, if I had to guess. I think yeah. that's the group that makes the most sense. Adams is clearly the most trusted, at least through last season. And just based on the whispers we've heard so far during the offseason, during practice, scrimmage, things like that. Sounds like KJ Adams is the most trusted guy. And again, there's a reason that during the game against Miami, when things were really rough in the first half in that elite game, eight elite eight game, excuse me. And then in the national championship game, again, when you needed to get a spark late in the first half, going into the second half, who was trusted? Was it Zach Clements? No, it was not Zach Clements. It was KJ Adams who Bill Self went to in those situations. And I think for that reason, more than anything else, he is the guy that has a little bit more trust and the guy you can rely on a little bit more defensively. I think he would get the nod in the post. And I think Dick, just based on the fact that he's got a chance to be a truly great scorer, he's the one who gets the nod at the two. And the reason why specifically... Bill Self has said this multiple times during the summer starter practice, Big 12 media days. I'm sure it came up at KU media day as well. There is a chance that Grady Dick could be one of the best shooters that Bill Self has ever coached. Maybe not in the sense that he can be an all-time record book kind of shooter. You know, Svima Kyaluk, Devontae Graham, Jeff Boshi, that ilk. Because I don't think Grady Dick is going to be around for four years. I would be very surprised if Grady Dick played at KU for four years based on the pedigree he has coming in. And that's fine. I'm not going to hold that against him by any means. But he's got the skill to be an all-time KU three-point shooter you're probably going to need that scoring touch in the starting five because look at the rest of the group. Dwan Harris is going to take on a bigger scoring role this year. I don't think there's any doubt about that because he's going to need to take on a bigger scoring role, but he's not a natural scorer at this level. And that's obvious. Wilson obviously can go get buckets. McCuller can score he obviously has that ability and he's had games in the past where he's been able to go off for you know high teens plus in terms of scoring he can he can be efficient but that's not really his mo and I don't think that's why self said he's a perfect fit for this Kansas team it's not because he's a tremendous scorer and he's that missing piece on offense it's because he's an incredible defensive player with remarkable defensive versatility he does have Garrett like versatility not saying he's the same kind of defender Marcus Garrett's one of the all-time greats but that is kind of the go-to he's long he's lanky and he can guard one through five and you'll need him to guard one through five at various times this season and KJ Adams Could he be a much better scorer? Sure, he could develop more of an offensive game, and I'm sure that that's something he has worked on over the course of this offseason because the defensive effort and tenacity has already been there. But look at that group. How many guys in that foursome right there do you look at and say, oh, yeah, there's there's certain reliable scoring potential? Well, one of them is Jalen Wilson. You need somebody else who you can rely on to get you points, and that, to me, the the best likelihood – 
is for that to be Grady Dick. You're going to see a lot of different guys, especially early in the season, and per usual, this is usually how it works out, who get opportunities to do that. I'd love it if Joseph Yesifu could become that guy. I would love it if he could become your reliable six-man who can add energy, speed, on-ball defense. He can shoot the ball a little bit. You can look to to get you 9 to 12 points a night, somewhere in that range. But right now, just based on what we know and the pedigree of some of these guys, I think you have to go with Dick because I don't know where else you're going to get reliable scoring from. It's going to be Dick. It is going to be Wilson. And then you just have a hodgepodge of a bunch of rest of guys. It should be a good defensive group. That five at least looks like it should be good defensively, assuming Grady can handle his own to some decent level. But you need scoring, and I think Dick's probably your best option in that regard. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, we have seen this time and time again. Bill Self prefers guys that can play good defense. Like, yes, he yeah. realizes you have to have at least one scorer, like a natural scorer out on the floor, and that's what Dick brings. But, um, you know, you do have to have fantastic defense to be able to play in his in, in his system and be one of those guys he really goes to. That's why all of the point guards, like, the main thing has been – can this guy defend, and can he get the ball to people who can score? Like the, that, those are the two main qualities that a can or that a Bill Self point guard has to have. He doesn't have to be a scorer. Like it's a plus if he is a scorer. Thinking Frank Mason, you know, there, there there's a reason that Frank Mason is probably probably not if if not the best, then clearly one of the best point guards that Bill Self has had in his time in Kansas because he could do all the defensive stuff. He could he could you know find guys pretty much anywhere that he wanted. Oh, and he could slash to the basket and score. Um, but Dewan Harris fills the role that Bill Self expects. You know, a very good defender, can distribute the ball, um, and now just needs to look to shoot the ball, even if it doesn't necessarily go in all the time, just make it so that teams have to play him honestly. But um, like you said, Jalen Wilson is the only guy that is a shoe-in that I feel like can can get offense. But that's even not his focus, right? Like, he, he is the guy that is good at being that garbage guy, the guy that can go in, can get the rebounds, can do whatever it is that the team needs him to do in a, in a particular situation. Sometimes that's scoring. Sometimes it's just boxing a whole bunch of people out and getting rebounds and feeding it up to the front. Like Jalen Wilson has shown himself to be such a versatile player that you expect him to be the leader. You expect him to fill in whatever role it is. And because this team doesn't have a lot of natural scorers, that's where you kind of gravitate towards. But like you said, Grady Dick, they have been hyping up his scoring ability um, Bill Self did say that, that you know, and I, I have the audio somewhere. I'll have to dig it out. But he did actually say that, you know, Grady Dick is the best pure shooter that he has had in his entire time at Kansas. Um, so, like, this is one of those things where he likes to have a guy that can make those shots. Now, obviously, the big knock on Dick so far is that he's not coming along nearly as quickly as Bill Self would like on the defensive end. And so you have to hope that that comes along a lot quicker um, but there's still time for him, you know, to kind of get all of that together and really do what they need to do there. Um, but like you said, I expect him to be the starter coming out. I would not be shocked if MJ Rice is, is you know, on the, on the court um, as one of the starters because a guy like KJ Adams doesn't step up and, and earn that starting spot. I do, though, think that, that Self is probably going to want an actual five-man, an actual, you know, big man down low, at least in that starting lineup. I don't know, though, if K.J. Adams is going to get, like, starter-type minutes. As we've seen multiple times with Bill Self, um, it doesn't really matter who starts the game. It's who gets that, you know, magical 20 point or twenty minutes a game threshold to kind of be the starter. So we will have to see how that all plays out. I do agree. I think that K.J. Adams is probably the most likely of the big men to get those significant minutes. Um, Cam Martin would probably be the guy if 
someone like Grady Dick does not come on with his shooting, you know, if he starts having a slow night and they just need somebody that can score, they might go to Cam Martin to get some offensive stuff going, to get him, you know, to get him running, hope that the rest of the defense can kind of just deny the post a whole bunch and make it a little easier on Cam Martin and then just take full advantage of what he can do offensively. Um, but, you know, I think that those are probably the, like, I, I think you're spot on with the starters, at least what it's going to be at the beginning of the year. If we're talking about through the rest of the year, though, you know, I definitely think McCuller, Wilson, and Dewan Harris are, you know, three guys that for sure are going to be in that rotation at the end of the year as the starters. Um, Grady Dick, it's hard to imagine unless he's just completely ice cold for a stretch of the season, um, you know, that he's going to have any issues staying in there. And I just, I don't know why, but I get the feeling the way that they were talking about Uday, um, I get the feeling that he is going to be the guy that steps forward, that he is the guy that they they think has the most potential, right, to surprise people, to really develop. Um, I will be very interested to see what his role is early, how well he is taking to, you know, everything that he's learning and, you know, like assimilating there with the team and getting to the point where he is able, like, he is a guy that has a lot of potential, a guy that I think a lot of people are looking towards to potentially be that guy to take the reins of the five man and really stretch it forward. But like you said, he is a freshman. You haven't actually seen him in a, you know, a Kansas uniform playing college basketball yet. So it's hard to project him as the guy. But if there is a freshman that I think is going to be super important and fill a huge position of need, Uday, I think, is one of the top candidates for that. I hope that at some point this season we see that. And there is a lot of potential there. You know, he's a McDonald's All-American guy. There's obviously a lot of skill there, and, and Self has talked him up. I just think that, you know, the word that I go back to with those post guys, and I thought about this while you were going through some of the great ones in the recent past, is just reliability. And I think we are a long way away from finding out which of those guys is the most reliable option. Well, yeah, I mean, the they have to have time to play of, to show that they're reliable. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Exactly. And, you know, you mentioned Landon Lucas. Landon Lucas is always going to be one of my favorite KU basketball players, not because he was, you know, the greatest big man we've ever seen, but he was reliable. And even, you know, junior and senior year, we saw so much reaction. Why is Lucas out there? He can't score. He's just stuck. Landon Lucas wasn't guaranteed 10 rebounds in big 12 play. And he could get you anywhere from, you know, six to 12 points. And he had a bunch of double doubles those senior seasons. I loved watching Landon Lucas play, but he was reliable. You knew what you were getting out of him when he was on the court. Same go. You you mentioned Jeff Whitty, same thing by the time he was an upperclassman at KU. Same thing with Yudoka Azubuki and his unbelievable all-time senior season. David McCormick, a little bit different because his offense was so scattershot, but by the same token, you knew what you were getting out of him. You were going to get some sort of an offensive game that would make or break what the offense did for the rest of the night, and you were going to have at least a presence defensively around the rim. Again, like you said earlier, as long as he wasn't over-rotating to help. But you knew to a degree what you were going to get with David McCormick, and when we got to the NCAA tournament, even the Big 12 tournament, you knew they were going to run that team through him. He was going to get opportunities to score. More often than not, at that point of the year, he did end up scoring or at least doing the right thing with the ball. His confidence kicked in. You had a baseline level of competence. You knew that you were getting night in and night out. We just don't know what that's going to look like for this group of bigs for KU because they are so young and they have had so little time on the floor. So it's going to take a lot of time. And I think we're going to see a multitude of different starting lineups. I'm trying to remember 
which season it was. It might have been 15-16 where we saw so many different groups of starters at those big spots for KU. It was Landon Lucas for a while. It was Hunter Mickelson. Hunter Mickelson got starts for a KU team that made it to an Elite Eight. Like, you saw all these different guys. Carlton Bragg was on those teams. You had so many different – Jamari Trailer, I think, was still around at that point. Obviously, Perry Ellis, that was his senior year, 15-16. You had so many different guys who were starting because you were just looking for that right mix. It's going to take some time with this group. If it ends up being Uday, awesome. That would be fantastic. Maybe it's Zuby Ejiofor. Maybe it's the two sophomores, Clements and Adams. It's really hard to know. I just think it'll take time. I mean, it's probably going to be into the new year, into Big 12 play before we even have an inkling of who the trustworthy guys from that post group will be. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's really the the key is finding a guy that you can rely on that is always going to bring it night in and night out and is something that you can, you know, look forward to, um, to, to help anchor what it is that you're trying to do. Speaking of reliable stuff to anchor, like all of that stuff that is truly fantastic – I'm talking about the sponsor here on the podcast, Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel, the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel anywhere. Brendan is rocking the Wave the Wheat shirt that he has from them. It is absolutely fantastic. They have the um, they have over 140 different schools. They're adding new schools all the time. They're adding new products for the schools they already have all the time, refreshing a bunch of those lines. Um, they have super comfortable sweaters, joggers, t-shirts, hoodies, all kinds of great stuff with fantastic vintage college logos that are some of the greatest things that you've ever seen. Um, I have so many of them, especially from schools that I have absolutely no rooting interest because the logo is just that great. I have the UD, um, you know, the the big like rooster hen from University of Delaware um, because it's just the most fantastic thing ever. I actually wore that to the Big 12 tournament. Like that's how great this stuff is, how comfortable it is. I wear them all the time. Uh, I get all kinds of compliments from them. If you go over to homefieldapparel.com, use promo code CHOCK12, you can get 15% off your entire first order, and all orders over $100 have free shipping. Again, fantastic stuff. You're going to find plenty of stuff that you absolutely love. Uh, homefieldapparel.com, promo code CHOCK12, get 15% off that entire first order. All right, I am going to go, we, or I do want to go ahead and jump over. We're going to talk about the schedule. You know, we're going to take a look at some of the other stuff. Uh, going on and, and how we're projecting the season out. But before we do that, I need to throw it to a quick break. We'll be right back on the Rock Chalk Podcast. Brand new for the 2022 season, it's the RVK. We're coming at you two ways on two days. It's Monday and Thursday. Jeremy, JN, Fiend Phoenix, and me, Brandon Phoenix, a.k.a. I also hate Pitt. We are the Raspy Voice Kids. We are the Raspy Voice Kids podcast. You get pop culture Monday at 7 a.m. You get the West Virginia University podcast Thursdays at 7 a.m. Either way, no matter what we say, you're going to have fun. So, like we like to tell you, get at your boys. And we're back. I am joined by Brendan Dorzinski, host of, or one of the co-hosts of 580 Sports Talk over on WIBWAM over in Topeka. Um, Brendan, we just got done talking about, obviously, the, the rotation, the players that were there. And actually, we didn't even talk about who. So, you know, we're, we're going to jump back in because we talked about the starters, had a nice big long discussion about the starters. But every single year, there's at least four or five role players, guys that come in, um, you know, like who that first guy off the bench is going to be. And there are a lot of candidates this year, um, you know. All the guys that we talked about, you know, like MJ Rice, you know, Uday, Ejafor, whoever doesn't actually start there, Clements, KJ Adams, um, 
you know, you have a bunch of guys that stuck around too, like Bobby Pettiford, who, you know, there had so much promise last year, got injured and never really got back to the point where he was able to have huge impacts. Joseph Yesifu, a guy that I think struggled to adapt to what the Big 12 was doing last year, started to find his footing, but didn't really have a a spot right by the end of the season because the rotation had already been solidified. You have a bunch of guys, you know, Kyle Cuff has shown some ability. I don't expect him to, to jump into this lineup because he is just a, a redshirt freshman who has shown some promise, but probably needs a little bit of development. But we have a bunch of those guys throughout the entire roster. Are there guys that specifically jump out to you as the most likely to be those first guys off the bench? So I think Real quick, starting with the guys down low, I think Zach Clements is an obvious pick for that because especially of his offensive ability and hopefully maybe has refined it a little bit. Love the spark, love the energy, love the shooting he could bring to the floor. I think he did need to fine tune some things in his freshman season. And I think Bill Self would tell you the exact same thing, but I like Clements a lot. I think we're going to see a ton of him, whether he's starting coming off the bench, he's probably going to be your first big man off the bench. At least that's what I would expect once we get to the you know, narrowed down rotation part of the season. I think the real intrigue comes at the guard and wing spots. And I think that's fairly obvious. The couple of names you mentioned there, I think Bobby Pettiford is absolutely, once he's fully healthy, because he's been banged up again during camp, during practice as the season, uh, you know, is not quite yet here, but the lead up to the season, he's been banged up again. We're going to see him. I am as confident in that as I am in pretty much anything with this team this year. Bill Self loves Bobby Pettiford, and he talks him up all the time. He was talking him up before his freshman season started, during the year when he did play sparingly, got hurt, came back, unfortunately got hurt again, was shut down for the end of the 22 season, and obviously missed out on the championship run on the court. He was part of the team, obviously. We're going to see him once he is fully healthy. I am certain of that. I know self likes his tenacity. I think he's got the potential to be a really good defender. I don't know how good of an offensive player he can be. Still had to figure a handful of things out. It felt sometimes like he was getting sped up last year offensively when he would be on the court. Had some turnover issues, at least anecdotally. It felt like he had some turnover issues. But I'm sure we're going to see plenty of Pettiford. I would love to see a lot of Joe Yesifu this season. I think there's so much potential under the surface with Yesifu. And we saw it in flashes later in the season last year. If you remember, there were a couple of games where all of a sudden Yesifu was playing some real minutes and was getting out there. And we thought, man, he is such a great spark off the bench. I don't know what long-term kind of big 12 player he can be. But for now, if he gets things figured out a little bit, solves some of the turnover problems, just gets into a better rhythm with what self is wanting this team to do and wanting them to look like. I think he can be a real contributor for this team. It's going to take the working out those kinks. I don't know how long that'll take. It might take a little bit longer than you would hope or expect with this team because there is so much youth. There are so many new faces. And I know the expectations don't change when the faces do, but realistically, things are going to look different for this team. And they're going to look a little bit different as well for a guy like Joe Yesifu, who was coming along a little bit with the guys he was working with last year. So many of those guys are gone. It's going to be a different group he has to get used to and kind of build around this year. So I would love it to be Yesfu. I think that's the guy who I might be rooting for more than anyone because he was so explosive the second half of the year into the NCAA tournament two years ago with Drake. There's potential, there's flash, there's athleticism there. I want it to be Yesfu. I just think it's going to take a little more time with him. The real wild card to me is MJ Rice and if you read some of the insight, uh, I know Michael Swain over at fog.net, he's written about this uh, for their VIPs. I'm sure it's been on other boards as well. 
sounded like he struggled a bit during the secret scrimmage at Lindenwood in St. Louis when KU scrimmaged against Illinois. He's a dog, man. I know the whole he's got that dog in him thing has become such a cliche, and that's been thrown around for every athlete who shows any ounce of toughness within the last several months. He really has that, though. I mean, that is the way he plays. He is gritty. He is tough. He's got great size. I think he could be a really special player for this team. I honestly do. That's another one, though. I think it's just going to take some time with him. We're going to see all of these guys early in the season. We always see a bunch of dudes early in the year, a handful of them still playing. Playing when we get to the start of Big 12 play, but by the end of the year, when it's crunch time, when it's Big 12 title being decided time, when it is seeding for the NCAA tournament into the NCAA tournament, it's always going to be a narrow rotation. You know, well, pretty much seven guys last season when we got to the NCAA tournament, and then occasionally you threw in Adams and, and free money when KU needed a little bit of a spark. We're going to see so many guys play and earn those minutes early in the season. I would love for it to be some combination of those three guys. And I think all of them have the potential to be really special pieces for this team. It's just going to take some time. And I know that's not the the fun sports talk, hot take kind of answer, the, the headline grabbing answer. But I just think it's going to take some time for this group. So those are the three I'm looking for, because I think Self loves Pettiford to the point we're going to see him even when he is struggling. Yes, if who's got some of the best athleticism on the entire team, he's got that spark, that energy, that speed that I think can be really special. He just obviously had some things he needed to work on on the court. And he talked about it last season, too. He had, you know, some some mental things he had to get through, too, that, hey, I I went from being big fish in a small pond to now smaller fish in a much bigger pond trying to find his way. And I think he is eventually going to get there. It's just going to take a bit of a restart process. And I think MJ Rice has the ability to be special, man. I really do. I'm just not sure what he's going to be able to present from the very beginning. That's what I talked about earlier in the show. These young guys, the freshmen, not just the big men, but all the freshmen have so much potential to be great players. I just don't think it's going to be realized right off the bat. Dick is the closest one to being that, I think. But I think for all of them, there are going to be some legitimate growing pains this year. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of to be expected. This this season kind of reminds me of the buildup, right, to um, when when the two leaders on the team were Cole Aldrich and Sharon Collins. Um, you know, you had two very grizzled veterans, guys that had been here that knew what was going on. Um, you didn't have the, the, the transfer in like a Kevin McCuller. But, I mean, you basically have... You know, two guys here in Jalen Wilson and Dewan Harris who are the grizzled veterans, the ones that have really been through the ringer, that know what how Bill Self wants them to play, know what he needs to do, like what guys need to do to get on the court and actually have some longevity there. Um, you know, I, I think that's what this kind of reminds me of. And and that was similar in that, you know, season. I believe it was a 2010 season. I, I, I definitely correct me if I'm wrong and you happen to know. But, um, like, this is – this was a, a – there, that was a team that had to find its way, that had to figure out who those guys were going to be. And we came into that season with the same sort of questions. Who was going to be the guy that was going to step up? You know that the people have to take those minutes, but who's actually going to do it? And I think we're in a similar sort of like you know spot this year where we don't know who it is. You don't have a lot of those role players. Like You don't have like a LeGerald Vick or a Jalen Coleman lands, like a three-point sharpshooter out on the wing that probably isn't going to start, but has one very specific thing that they do they can come off the bench. Like... It sounds like the best three-point shooter is going to be Grady Dick, but I have no expectation at all that he is not going to be on the court, you know, 35 minutes a game. Like he is for sure. Like he's not the guy you bring off the bench when you need something specific. And so they don't have a lot of those guys that do very specific things that are very situational, that have a very 
you know, a very specific role. I expect some of those guys to develop those. For example, I think that Bobby, Bobby Pettiford is going to be the guy that comes in when they want two ball handlers on the floor. Um, you know, and like, I, I think that's where he's going to shine the most is where he's going to get the most opportunities and they're going to kind of figure that out. I think Yesufu is probably going to be, you know, like the role that I think makes the most sense for him right now is probably that guy that comes in that, you know, that spells Dewan Harris when you need to get a bucket, you need a guy that can attack the rim that can do that sort of stuff. You know, Yesfu and Pettiford remind me a lot of some of the other point guards that we have had here, that it took them a while to get their feet under them. You you think about Frank Mason, right? He started as a freshman. Um, he was not good his freshman year. Like he was he was okay, but he was nowhere near, you know, even close to what we now remember as Frank Mason. Um, and you know, everything that he did for the Jayhawks. So it takes time for these guys to develop. Bill Self has a good track record of taking these types of players and turning them in in years three and four into the guys that can have huge impacts on the program, that can push the teams forward. So, you know, like you said, there's a lot of potential, a lot of guys that I think are going to develop over the course of this year. This is a year where you're going to have to rely on Wilson and, you know, Dick and uh, McCuller and, uh, oh gosh, and, and Harris, you know, to find a fifth guy that's going to help them carry the load for the majority of the minutes and then just fill in guys wherever you can. I, I I would not be shocked if we have whoever that fifth starter is, if those five guys average, you know, 30 to 35 minutes a game over the course of the season, because there just is not anybody who I think is pushing to be those guys that have to be there. So, so when you talk about guys that come off the bench, I think we're going to find out what those are when we find out what their roles are for this particular team. I think that like Clements is going to be the guy that comes in when you need a big that can score, that can stretch. Um, you know, Adams is going to be the guy that's going to be in there for high energy. I almost see him as kind of like a, a Kevin Young type of player where he, you know, brings that extra energy all of a sudden can change the entire tone of the game with what he brings in. You know, that, that was Remy Martin last year, um, which, which was kind of interesting to hear that from Bill Self when everybody expected Remy Martin to be one of the starters, one of the guys that, you know, had the most minutes um, to hear that he was like the energy guy. I think every single one of Bill Self's successful teams have had a guy who comes off the bench and brings a ton of energy and can change the demeanor of the entire game. And I think that Adams is that player that jumps out to me as the one that's most likely to be able to do that, which means he's probably going to, you know, average at least seven to 10 minutes a game because this team is going to need that energy quite often. So, all right. Any, any other players you wanted to highlight uh, that you think are going to have big impacts on this team? I think we've gotten through most of the guys who I think are going to have that big impact. I'm just going to say it right now. And so it's on the record, maybe not even for 22, 23, but for 23, 24, maybe even 24, 25. I know he probably wants to be in the NBA by that point because he was a highly touted recruit, but I think MJ Rice has the ability to be an awesome, awesome KU basketball player. I really do. It's going to take some time. I think he's going to be a little bit slow to start. I just, I want it. On record, I want the audio out there. I want the video out there. I think MJ Rice is going to be a really special player for this team. It just might not be right away in 22-23. Someday. I'm, I'm buying stock. I'm going to buy low so I can eventually sell high on this. You know what's going to be awesome? When Grady Dick does enough shooting to be that guy that is absolutely fantastic but has enough other things that he sticks around for three years and then MJ Rice just goes off this year and, you know, leaves to go to the NBA. Like it's going to be awesome when it flips, completely flips the script like that. Like, like you're, you know, right absolutely not expecting. Yeah, exactly. So, all right, let's go ahead and take a look. Um, obviously the, the schedule is a pretty good one. You know, there was a graphic that came out. I forget 
uh, which account had it, but was talking about the non-conference schedules from 2017 to 2022 and looking at all the different teams and all the different conferences, what their non-conference schedule looks like. And of course, most, you know, most conferences are like all grouped and you can like see all of them together. The Big 12 in general was much higher than everybody else because they schedule really, really well in the non-conference. And Kansas was mm-hmm. so far up there that they were basically off the chart. Um, this is a, you know, Kansas and Bill Self have routinely scheduled phenomenal non-conference schedules. Um, And this, I think, honestly, might be one of the toughest ones that they've had in a really long time. Like, you look at all of the teams that are on here, and, you know, I know that I don't think either of us really expect Missouri to be a great team this year, but that is a rivalry game. It's the first time you're going to play it in Columbia in a really, really really long time. That is going to be a tough game, even though I think Kansas should win that one and win that one handily. Um, That's going to be tough, especially since it's probably the best Missouri team that they've had in almost a decade. Like they have a, they have actually a decent shot at having a good team this year. Um, but it is Missouri. So I will laugh uncontrollably when it turns out that they, you know, just completely mess it up. So, but I mean, they play Duke in the champions classic, you know, I, I said earlier, they have NC state in the first weekend, or I'm sorry, the first game of the battle for Atlantis. I know that Tennessee is one of the other teams that they could potentially play there. I forget who the other ranked team is, but they have two other ranked teams that are kind of just hanging out there waiting for them. If they can win the games that they need to, of course, we all know how that went, you know, when they were looking to play. Like, they ended up playing Dayton, you know, in the uh, in the. Uh, I don't think it was the Maui. I forget which one it was. It, it might have been the uh, the Atlanta. Orlando. Oh, Orlando. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, so we we can potentially get some surprises, but like it's stocked with potent with really really good matchups. Seton Hall is a game where I don't know how good Seton Hall is going to be this year, but you know they are the ones that hired the the uh, coach who you know took St. Peter's to the Elite Eight. So. Uh, you know, I'm expecting them to have a decent first year for him. Um, but then you have Indiana. You know, again, that, that game's at home, which will, will help somewhat. But, I mean, you have you have at least five marquee games on your schedule in the non-conference with the potential for two more to jump in there. Oh, and then, you know, you have all of the conference slate, and right smack dab in the middle of it, you're playing Kentucky, you know, at the end of January. So, like, you have a brutal schedule this year. Like, it is going to be, I think, very difficult for Kansas to come out of this schedule and anybody to knock anything that they've done, um, you know, with that. Of course, barring the extremely unlikely outcome that they lose all of the really big games and, you know, just mop the floor with all of the other games. I don't see that happening. I don't think that's even really that realistic to be talking about. But, like, this is a this is a, a really tough schedule this year. So, with all of that in mind, what are some of those games that really jump out to you, whether it's the situation that they have it in or, you know, maybe, maybe some of the games surrounding it, if there's like a difficult stretch, like I'm looking through the schedule and there are a few that jump out to me as like, oh my gosh, that is going to be atrocious for them to try to struggle through. You know, it's so funny how much winning a championship changes your viewpoint on things because normally under normal circumstances, I would look at this and go, oh my God, there's there's tough games all over the place and some of these stretches and the Kentucky game champion, like this non-conference is rough this year. I'm like, damn, this is fun. Like, all right, this, this is what you become a Kansas fan for, right? You get these high profile matchups. I'm, I'm having fun with it. Cause this is like my grace period year. Like, eh, right, yeah, right. There's no fun. pressure the year no. after you win a championship, especially when, you know, 80% of your scoring leaves, like when so much exactly. is gone, right? Like, cause it was the same sort of thing when, you know, it was Sharon Collins and Cole Aldrich in, in 2010. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was it was very shortly after the, the 2008 championship. Like, you you finally had all of the talent for the most part, with the exception of, 
you know, Collins and then Aldrich, who was a freshman mm-hmm. that came in for one game and had a fantastic game, that one in the Final Four. But, like, for the most part, it was a reset year. This feels like a reset year, a year where they could still be a very, very good team, could still make a push to the Final Four. And, you know, I, they are still being talked about as one of the, you know, seven or eight teams that have a legitimate shot of going mm-hmm. to the title and potentially winning it. Like, that's a that's a good year, a year that you normally feel like, but there's no pressure because they just won a championship. And we all know how yeah. hard it is to win back-to-back championships. So, like, if they don't do it, nobody's going to be disappointed because you're not supposed to be able to do it. And, and with that, like, I, I love the schedule. I think this schedule is going to be so much fun. It's going to be frustrating. I say that now, and we're not quite to the start of the season. We're going to get to this game against Seton Hall, and KC and Defo for Seton Hall is going to be giving buckets to KJ Adams and Zach Clements. I'm going to be throwing stuff against the wall. But realistically, I think this schedule looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I will say... I love that the Champions Classic is no longer the first game of the season. I love that there's going to be two games leading up to that. I know it felt kind of special that, oh, the season begins and we've got these huge matchups and how great is that? The games were ugly as sin most of the time, right? I mean, some of those games were so terribly played. It was the last time that KU and Duke played in the Champions Classic where KU had, what, 28 turnovers in the game. It was hideous. It was absolutely gross. Now you got the great moments. Like last season, Ochai Abaji having his true breakout game. I mean, we knew he was already one of KU's best players. He had his true, hey, America, I'm here, and I'm going to have an all-time great season moment just opening up the year against Michigan State. But I think for the quality of basketball, it definitely helps that you're going to get two games for KU. It's Omaha and North Dakota State plus the exhibition against Pitt State leading into that. So I think that's a good thing. As for what the tough parts of this non-conference schedule are and the tough stretches, I think the battle for Atlantis is going to be really fun this year. You mentioned the opening round game against North Carolina State. I mean, the rest of that tournament field, Dayton and Wisconsin is who KU will play one way or the other in the second round. Dayton, and then the other side of the bracket. Was. Yeah. Yeah. The other side of the bracket, USC, BYU, uh, Tennessee, and Butler. That's that's awesome. I mean, Butler's had some you know down years relative to their usual success recently, but that's a great tournament uh, in terms of depth of teams. You're going to get fun matchups and challenging matchups one way or the other. It would almost be a little bit of a letdown, by the way, if you end up in the third round taking on a BYU team who you're going to have as a conference foe in the next couple of years anyway. But other than that, anything would be awesome. Um, just a, a quick sidebar, totally irrelevant to the actual quality of competition. So my, my best friend in the entire world, he was the best man at my wedding this spring. Um, he went to Wisconsin. And so we have been dreading the thought of a KU versus Wisconsin, either like football bowl game, potentially this year, although, ugh, and then, um, both for KU and Wisconsin uh, or the yeah. KU Wisconsin basketball matchup Sunday. We've been dreading that happening and having to go at each other's throats. And he grew up an Indiana fan. Both of his parents went to law school at Indiana. He grew up a huge IU fan. KU plays IU this year. I'm trying to get his parents to come out to the game, but just a little personal aside there, but I think the battle for Atlantis is going to be awesome. That lineup of teams is so deep and so fun, but really you look to that stretch from December 1st through December 17th, You're home for two of the three, which is great, but you've got Seton Hall, which is obviously going to be a different looking team than they have been in the last year or so. They bring in Shaheen Holloway, who was a star for them back in the day. He coached, obviously, that incredible run for St. Peter's, brings in Casey and Defo, among others, who I think could be a real 
early season challenge for those big men for KU because Indefo was awesome in the tournament. He's not maybe the most skilled big man in the country, but he's going to play his ass off for Shaheen Holloway and that team. That's going to be a real challenge for Uday, Adams, Clements, whoever is going to play the lion's share of the minutes down low. So that's going to be a big test early on. You mentioned the Missouri game. I hope KU scores 100 and whoops their ass again, but it's on the road, hostile environment. You know the Antlers and whoever else in Columbia are going to be all over that game. They have a coach now who seems to have a clue. Quanzo Martin clearly didn't because every school he's ever been to, he's left in a worse spot than when he got there, which is the total opposite of what coaching is supposed to be. But it seems like Gates at least has a clue, maybe. And if that's the case, Missouri will obviously be better. So hostile environment, that's going to be a tough game. And Indiana, that. I don't know if I'm all the way in on Indiana. I think they're, what, 13th in the preseason poll. I don't know if I'm all the way in on IU and Mike Woodson this year. They do have Trace Jackson Davis, who's a preseason All-American. They've got other talent across that roster. Jackson Davis is also another post guy, so that's going to be a big challenge for Jalen Wilson, Kevin McCullough, the rest of those defenders down low. That stretch right there is going to be one of the best at least it appears on paper this way, one of the best non-conference stretches for anyone across the country this year. That's what I've got my eye on the most. And I think that's probably what most KU media or fans would be saying as well, that December stretch against what should be three really fun games. Yeah, it's also weird too, like looking at it. I'm so used to Kansas going on the road right before the holidays, right? Like going out to the mm-hmm. West Coast or something. So that way they can buy everybody's plane tickets going home. <laughs> like like that I forget who it was that actually said that, but like that was a legitimate strategy. Like they used to always schedule like an Arizona State or an Arizona or a USC or something like that out on the West Coast. So that way, you know, it's like, okay, everybody go home for the holidays and we have to pay mm-hmm. your ticket for you to get back you know, any way to Kansas. So instead we'll just pay for you to go home. Um, it's, yeah. it's actually kind of funny. I think that that's like the first thing that jumped out to me is like, wait a minute, they don't have an away game right before Christmas. Um, you know, instead they're going to be at home playing Harvard, um, which is going to be one. It's going to be, hopefully it's like that. Uh, which one was it? The, the George Mason game, I believe it was last year where they were like, uh, supposed to just completely destroy them and it was a little bit tougher than normal, but they had uh-huh. big guys step up. Like, I'm not, ex- like, I don't want that sort of same result, but I think that was the first game where I realized just how special this team could be because the top guys were off and the, the you know, the rest of the guys were able to step up and get them a big win at that point. Um, I feel like that is going to be an opportunity right before the holiday for a lot of guys to show out, and it's going to be super exciting. And it'll be coming off of that three-game stretch that you're talking about of Seton Hall, Missouri, and Indiana. You know, so a, kind of a good, I guess, like, a, you know, you think about it as like a cool down for your for your gym workout, right? You do all the heavy, mm-hmm. very intense stuff, and then you just kind of just relax for a little bit and kind of work out all of that nasty lactic acid so you're not sore. Like, this is what Kansas is going to do. They're going to play a Harvard team that they should absolutely demolish and use it as a tune-up to get them ready to have a very fun, um, you know, a very, very fun holiday season going then into the conference opener against Oklahoma State on the 31st of December. It's still weird that they start conference play actually at the end of December instead of the beginning of the year. But, you know, we're going to get used to that. So, But looking at the rest of the schedule, you know, the other thing that really jumps out to me is that one stretch from January 17th to the end of January, January 31st, where they start and end playing at Kansas State, then they play TCU, then they're at home, then they're on the road for both Baylor and Kentucky before coming back home for Kansas State again. 
Like, that sounds like a brutal stretch. One, because it's, you know, like, Kansas State is, is obviously the worst team on that list of who they're going to face. But it is a rivalry game. It is a game that everybody always gets up for. And the one on the road is the one that you look at before you play, you know, a ranked TCU team, a ranked Baylor team, and a ranked Kentucky team. And honestly, at that point, all three of those games may be top 10 teams, like, against top 10 teams. Like, that is a gigantic stretch for the for the season, a gigantic stretch for them to be able to get that confidence going into the NCAA tournament. Um, even though it's like, you know, two months before the NCAA tournament starts, like that's how important it is to look at those sorts of stretches and use them to be able to get you where you need to go. And of course, that Baylor game is Big Monday. Like that is on the road yeah. at Baylor for Big Monday. It's going to be a huge game for them. So I will be very interested about that particular stretch. Um, you know, but I mean, it's not like any of the any of the stretches that they have here are going to be easy by any means. Like mm-hmm. I think the the only games that they have that are against two back-to-back teams that are outside the top 30 in Ken Palm going into the preseason is Iowa State at home and then K-State on the road, middle of January, and then the end of January, beginning of February, Kansas State at home and Iowa State on the road. That's it. Everything else they have, like they have West Virginia, who's like 73rd right now, but that's sandwiched by Texas Tech on the road. Uh, and Oklahoma at home, and oh, that West Virginia game is on the road as well. And then the other one, West Virginia, it's TCU on the road right before, and then Texas Tech at home. Like, those are going to be teams that are going to be fighting for the Big 12 title at that point. So there are no easy stretches. There are no the, – you, you probably won't even get one game off, but, like, you don't even have the opportunity for two potentially easy games at all on this on this entire schedule. Um, because of the rivalries, because of the, you know, and, and Iowa State is one of those teams where, like, if Kansas State was not Kansas' rival, then it would have to be Iowa State because of the way that they play mm-hmm. each other. So, like, this is going to be extremely difficult. So that's, of course, the perfect segue into the, uh, the, the, the Big 12 this year, right? Kansas was picked number two. They were uh, just behind Baylor. You know, they're, they're ranked number five in the AP poll with Baylor. Um, actually both of them at number five and they were like, I think three points behind Baylor in the preseason poll. So it's like neck and neck at this point thoughts though, on this conference, like how it's going to like, cause, cause what we heard at big 12 media days was everybody talking about how there's, there's literally no days off. It's the, you know, the deepest conference, the best conference. There's like so much here in the conference of, you know, how great all these teams are. Um, so, so I think, I think actually my first question for you is, how many losses do you think the winner of the conference is going to have this year? Because I, I, I honestly could like pick five different numbers. Honestly, like it's it's that close. That is a great question. I will go. Man, part of me wants to say four. Part of me wants to say it's going to be fourteen and four. 13 and five almost sounds like the right number though. I mean, this schedule more, more than usual, I think is going to be a gauntlet for, for everybody, not just for KU, but really for the entire league, man, I might even go 13 and five to be completely honest with you, because you look up and down this entire conference, any team can lose any game. It's not even, Oh man, some of these games are going to be tough. It is going to be a slog for every single one of these teams, every single game. I think I might go 13 and five to be completely honest with you. I mean, we had this discussion on 580 Sports Talk when the preseason poll came out that even the teams that are 
clearly the worst in the league, I think are going to be a bear to deal with this year. And that doesn't just include the Baylor Bears, who are actually one of the best teams in the league. But you you look at the very bottom, like the two clearly worst teams, I think, and at least on paper going into the year, are West Virginia and Kansas State. I really don't think there's any debate. And I think most rational people, even in those fan bases, would tell you the same thing. I think Kansas State might be a real thorn in some sides this year. They they're not going to be a top half of the league kind of team, but I could see them being on the bubble by the end of the year. I really could. They are way more talented than they were in the last few years under Bruce Weber. Now, can those pieces play together? We have no idea. We truly have no idea if those guys are going to mesh at all or how good of an on-court coach Jerome Tang might be, but they're going to pull off a number of upsets this year. They really are. West Virginia probably is as well, especially in some games uh, that they get at home in Morgantown. Oklahoma State can beat anyone. Oklahoma can beat anyone. Same for Texas Tech. You know Texas Tech is going to be a pain to play because Mark Adams is a sensational coach. Texas is going to be good. TCU, I have a hard time buying in just because I feel like most years when we get told, hey, TCU is going to be better, it's like, well, they're pretty much the same team they've always been. I don't really know that this is markedly better, although they did have one of the best performances in a loss in the NCAA tournament last year, and they bring back almost everybody Mike Miles your preseason conference player of the year he's a stud they got a lot of talent on that team it's going to be challenging I think the best teams in the league could still lose honestly maybe five plus times so I'll say 13 and five is enough to win the conference maybe 14 and four I could see that if either Baylor or KU did get super hot but man it's going to be tough there aren't going to be a lot of long winning streaks in the conference this year I guess that's my fairly milk toast commentary is I think a lot of teams are going to win two in a row, maybe get a third in a row. There's not going to be a whole lot more than that because around every single corner, there's a challenging matchup. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things like I could see potentially Baylor or Kansas or like, I mean, I could see a team go on maybe a four or five game winning streak, but then they could easily just turn around and have a three game losing streak right after that. Mm -hmm. Like, like that's how difficult the conference is going to be. And to your point, like since the conference schedule expanded to 18 games, they went to the round Robin. There's only been one time previously where the winner of the conference was 13 and five. Every other time it's been 14 and four or better. That one year was in 2015 when Kansas won with a 13 and five record. Um, But you look up and down the conference and they had two teams that were ranked outside of the top 80 in Ken Palm that year, Kansas state 81 who actually finished third to last you know they actually finished in a tie for for sixth place at eight and ten mm-hmm. and then texas tech who was 155 um everybody else was in the top what a turnaround. was in the top like 60 right um including that that tcu team that you're talking about that uh like you look at them this year the preseason projections which are usually fairly good for most teams on average yeah the lowest team is kansas state at 77 like it's unreal, man. Yeah, this it's ridiculous. Is truly insane. Yeah, like this is there is no as you put it there is no bad team in the conference. There are there are definitely some middle of the road teams that are going to take more than their fair share of losses. But it is one of those things where like I could easily see every single team in the conference competing for postseason play, whether it's NCAA or NIT. Like the can't the, the Big Twelve this year could potentially be the first conference to have every single team play in the postseason. Whether it you know, in not like the CBI or the ones you have to buy your way into, but you know, the actual postseason where you get invited based off of what you did instead of how much money you're able to shill out. So like 
this is, but this is a, I mean, it's a fantastic conference. It's going to be extremely difficult. I think if I had to pick it, I, I, I probably, like, it's hard for me to pick anybody over the Jayhawks, especially coming off of what the, you know, they've come off with. I mean, you look at Baylor and yeah, they've got a great team, but they also lost a bunch of different players, including some of their leading scorers, you know, Texas, I'll believe that Texas is going to be the best team in the league when they actually win the league. Um, you know, much like Texas in football, we keep hearing about how great they are, and yet they always kind of stub their toe. They're they're definitely a lot closer in basketball than they are in football at being one of the top teams in the conference. But, um, you know, with how many great teams there are in this conference, it is interesting because Texas is the number two team in Ken Palm as of right now. Um, I feel like they get ranked pretty highly in Ken Palm every single year until we actually start getting results. So we'll have to see how all that shakes out. But, I mean, you've got, you know, you've got Texas at two, Baylor at six, Kansas at eight, then TCU at 16 with Texas Tech right behind at 17. Um, Oklahoma's in the top 30. Oklahoma State's in the top 30. And then there's like a, a clear, you know, a clear break there when you get down to the bottom three of Iowa State, West Virginia, and Kansas State. But still. It's a it's a fantastic conference. I think a lot of those teams are going to be neck and neck all year long. Um, winning on the road, no matter who you play, is going to be a big accomplishment to celebrate this year. Uh, it is going to be very, very difficult. So, all right. Um, anything else that you wanted to wrap up with um, for any of the like any facet that we looked at this this uh, episode for the for the team or anything else that you wanted to just make sure people are thinking about before we get into Big Twelve? I'm sorry. Before we get into Kansas basketball as it's getting ready to start. Yeah, I think the the only note, just to finish this most recent thought we were talking about, I think KU certainly has the potential to win this conference. They absolutely do. They've got the talent and the just the natural gifts and obviously the coaching to win the Big 12 this year. Jalen Wilson, there is a very clear and obvious path where he becomes an All-American this season and leads KU to greatness. Grady Dick could obviously do the same. That being said, I think it's entirely fair that Baylor was picked to win the league and picked by a slim margin. Obviously they do have more of a veteran presence back this year than KU does. And I think you lean with that, especially early on in the season, there's going to be no easy matchups though. That has become, I know it's not kind of the hated rivalry, like Missouri, even Kansas state, honestly, even to agree to a degree, Iowa state, but Baylor KU has become one of the best rivalries in terms of on the court action in college basketball. I'm so excited for that this year. And maybe that, you know, you get a little chip on the shoulder for KU. Hey, you won the national championship and now you're not even picked to win your own conference. You want, you're going to take that. You're going to take that from the voters, from the coaches, whoever it might be. So I'm excited for it. I understand why Baylor was picked first. I think rightfully so they were picked first, but if KU gets its maximum potential out of all of these guys, Brady Dick, MJ Rice, Uday and Ejiofor from the freshman class, guys like Adams and Clements who showed flashes last year and are asked to take on bigger roles this year. And obviously from your guys who have all league, all America kind of potential, like a Harris or a McCuller, and especially a Jalen Wilson, if you can maximize all of those guys, I think you've got the pieces this year to make another deep run in March. It doesn't feel to me quite like the 18-19 team where there was a lot of talent but it never quite fit. You know, things were weird with Quentin Grimes and Dotson was a good player, but he hadn't quite taken off all the way. You had the injuries with Udokas. You had the weird fit of Diedrich Lawson and uh, young David McCormick. I think there's a lot of reasons why you might connect these two seasons. I think this team has the potential to be better and to have the pieces fit better than that year, though. 
I'm excited for it. It's kind of the grace year where, hey, you can't get mad. The team just won the national championship. So I'm looking forward to it. I'm optimistic about it. I just hope that we figure out that some of these big men can play sooner rather than later. Yeah, I I definitely agree. I am so looking forward to the basketball season, which, you know, kind of snuck up on me this year again because of how much fun I'm having with this football team. But, uh, um, yeah, I am so excited that basketball is back. You know, I will be honest, basketball is my favorite sport. Uh, College basketball specifically is my favorite sport to watch and all. Uh, Football is not far behind NFL and college football, but – um, I, you know, basketball will always hold a special place in my heart in terms of my college fandom, um, and just what I like to follow all the time. I, that's where I first dove into like everything, but, um, look, I didn't play basketball in high school or in college or anything like that. I did play football in, uh, in, in freshman year. So I have a little bit of experience there. I love breaking down all of them. So I'm so happy that it's here, but, uh, look, we have a, a football season to finish. We will be talking about football. Don't worry about that. But we will also be jumping over to basketball. I'm actually hoping to do a preview episode talking about the women's basketball team as well coming up here in the next week or so. So definitely stay tuned for that. I'm still trying to find a guest for that one so we can get that one taken care of. But that is going to do it for us today. Brendan, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you guys so much for listening. If you have not already, please do go out wherever you get your podcasts, where it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, any of the other million apps that are out there. Just search for Rock Chalk Podcast. You can subscribe, get every episode as soon as it comes out. If you can give us a rating and a review, five stars, nice comments would be absolutely fantastic. But if for whatever reason you're not able to do that, just let us know what it is we can be doing better. We really do bring the podcast to you guys, get you all the information you need in as entertaining a way as possible. So if you ever have any comments, questions, suggestions, people you want to try to interview, anything like that, you can contact me by email at rockchalkpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at rockchalkpod. We are part of the 1012 Podcast Network over on the Sports Drink Network, which is your home for all things sports and not sports. Fantastic network that they have over there, and we are so happy to be part of that um, as the 1012 Network as well. Uh, if you go over to 1012network.com, you can find links to all the great shows we have. We cover every single team in the Big 12, including the four new schools that will be coming starting next year. So catch all of those great shows. Make sure you guys visit our sponsors, Prize Picks and Homefield Apparel. Um, thank you guys so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next time on the Rock Chalk Podcast.